If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within London's West End. Today's episode is about the upbringing of David Morley and Chelsea O'Mahony, two very different people raised by very different parents under very different circumstances. One was loving and kind, the other was heartless and cruel, and yet, having met by chance, their lives would be changed forever. Murder Mile is researched using the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details, and as a dramatisation of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 73, The Raising of David and Chelsea. Today, I'm standing on the south bank, on the south side of the River Thames, a short walk down from the dubious suicide of Roberto Calvi under Blackfriars Bridge, a short walk up from the terrorist attack on Westminster Bridge, a brisk dawdle right of the failed bombing of the Houses of Parliament by Guy Fawkes, the strangely successful assassination of sitting British Prime Minister Spencer Percival, and a few feet from the murder of Timothy Baxter on Hungerford Bridge. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Officially called Queen's Walk, as a grotty 50-foot-wide concrete pavement between Lambeth Bridge and Tower Bridge, this side of the South Bank whiffs of 1950s modernist architecture, as slabs of drab grey are pockmarked with wilting trees, rusty railings, and the brownest river you've ever seen, which teems with local fish, like the bum trout, the arse salmon, the stinkleback, and the shit haddock. Oddly, having been redeveloped from an ugly industrial shipping port full of docks, wharfs, cranes and the former Lion Brewery, now the South Bank has bloomed into an ugly tourist trap, where every year thousands of sightseers flock to explore, 
the real London, only to see long lines of market stalls selling traditional English foods like hot dogs, candy floss, curry, and paella, to see aquatic mammals in the Sea Life Centre, none of which are native to London, to see drummers from Tongo in the Royal Festival Hall, to be briefly scared by an out-of-work Oziata in the London Dungeon, and to go up a bit on the London Eye. See nothing through the city smog, and then go down again. Ah, great days! That said, the South Bank is a great place for families, as it's always full of mums, dads, and kids sharing quality time, laughing, playing, and learning invaluable lessons about life. Admittedly, some may be screaming little bags of snot, shit, and piss who bleed you dry. But the importance of good parenting can never be undervalued, as the first seven years of a child's life defines their personality forever. And although, just to the south side of Hungerford Bridge, a bench has since been replaced by an anonymous tree, as parents and children play, they're unaware that 15 years earlier, two strangers raised by very different parents. Would meet here for the very first and the very last time, as it was here on Friday, the thirtieth of October, two thousand and four, that thirty-seven-year-old David Morley was kicked to death by fourteen-year-old Chelsea O'Mahony, and all for fun. On Saturday, the eighth of May, nineteen ninety-nine, in the heart of Soho, the bell of St Anne's rang three times. Three solitary bells reverberated off the walls of Dean Street, Wardour Street, and Old Compton Street. Their echoes audible in an eerily quiet city, as each ring, one for each victim, John Light, Nick Moore, and Andrea Dykes, peeled off towards the setting sun. As the last bell tolled, thousands of people stood, heads bowed, as they observed a minute's silence. A sea of grief, all hugging, weeping, and holding hands, in a mix of mournful black clothes and bright rainbow flags, barely one hundred feet from the boarded-up remains of the Admiral Duncan Pub. One of those mourners was the pub's assistant manager, David Morley. Barely one week after the bombing, which had killed three and injured seventy-four, with the images still fresh and the pain still as raw as the burns to his hands and face, having narrowly escaped with his life when a nail bomb ripped the pub apart, although deeply traumatized, as a good decent man who was described as loving and kind, he wasn't there to mourn his loss, but to comfort others. David Morley. Was born on the third of October, nineteen sixty-seven, in a small West Midlands village, as the adopted son of Geoffrey and Doreen Morley. As an only child, who was raised by a late thirties married couple in good careers, being smart, stable, and level-headed, although they showered their baby boy with love, he was never spoilt. So blessed with a good education, they raised him as a fine young man. Likewise, although they weren't his blood, 
David adored his parents, calling them every week without fail and going with them on holidays. But being quiet, conservative, and almost two generations older than himself, although the lie ate at his soul, being worried about how the truth might embarrass his beloved parents, by thinking of their feelings instead of his own, he kept his homosexuality a secret. In 1988, age 21, David moved to London, and more importantly, to Soho. As a gay man, working in a gay pub in an openly gay part of town, here David could be himself, and as his confidence blossomed, he became a real showman behind the bar, who regulars nicknamed Cinders. Described as big, jovial, fun, and hugely camp, David was the life and soul of the party. He made a good night into a great night. There was never a sad face when Cinders was around, as David wasn't just loved, he was beloved. And with his parents living a quiet village life and rarely coming to London, he kept both worlds apart. But on Friday the 30th of April 1999, at 6.40pm, his life changed forever. Left in a rucksack, by the bar of the Admiral Duncan pub, was a homemade bomb built by a deluded neo-Nazi, consisting of six pounds of explosives made from fireworks and fertiliser, a wind-up alarm clock in a transparent sandwich box as a crude timer, and a shrapnel. The bomber had filled the bag with over 1,000 steel nails. So whoever the blast didn't kill, these four to six inch high-speed projectiles would. Three people died, 74 were injured, and hundreds were left traumatized. Deafened by screams, blinded by smoke, and disorientated by sirens, as the caustic smell of fertilizer stung his eyes, David's focus wasn't on saving himself, but escorting the injured to safety. A nail bomb went off tonight in a crowded pub in central London. At 7pm, as David's parents switched on the news, they saw their son's pub all smashed and smoking. The street outside a sea of blood, as unconfirmed reports spoke of injuries and death. Knowing they'd be distraught, 20 minutes later, from amidst the carnage, David called his parents to reassure them, I'm fine. Over the coming weeks, although physically and mentally scarred, David stood side by side with his fellow survivors at the memorial service at St Anne's. He spent his spare time visiting the injured in hospital and being promoted to manager, David saw it as his duty to the community to rebuild the Admiral Duncan pub and fighting through his own pain and trauma, it reopened just nine weeks later. The next day, having caught the earliest train to be with their son, and having seen every newspaper headline emblazoned with the words, Gay Pub Bombed. With his secret out, and being riddled with guilt, David apologised to his parents, saying, I'm sorry you had to find out this way. But loving their boy without question, being happy that he was happy, his homosexuality wasn't a problem. In fact, 
Although being born in a generation where they rarely express their feelings, Jeffrey wrote a letter to his son, in which he said, "Your mum and I are so proud." David Morley was a rock, a generous, kind, and loving man who put others before his own pain. Having been the product of two parents who taught him how to be a decent human being, he was strong for those who needed him to be strong. And when asked how he was coping, David would shrug it off with a jovial, "I've had better days." And although he always laughed loud, his smile was painted on, his eyes were full of sadness, and struggling to cope, he parted hard and drowned his fears with booze. In two thousand and four, five years after the bombing, David quit drinking and working at the Admiral Duncan. And with the support of his faithful friends, loyal colleagues, and loving family, he finally began to turn his life around. And then, on Saturday, the thirtieth of October, two thousand and four, by chance, he met a broken girl from a very different upbringing, and her name was Chelsea O'Mahony. Chelsea Cayley Peaches O'Mahony was born on the 16th of November 1989 in Edgware Hospital, West London. The middle child of five to Suzanne Cato, a single mother, and an unknown convict father, and with both parents being hopeless heroin abusers, Chelsea was born an addict. As a junkie, living in squalor and half-starved, Suzanne didn't give a shit. About anything except her next fix, as her wailing babies saw her strung out, shooting up, and with blood spurting from a ripped vein. With no love, care, or support, left to fend for herself, a severely neglected Chelsea was found by social services wandering the city streets, alone, and at night, aged just three. Unable to rehabilitate her mum, age seven, Chelsea was taken into care. To give her an ounce of stability, instead of being fostered out to strangers, she was placed with an aunt and uncle in South London. And to try and maintain some kind of normal relationship with her mum, she was granted regular phone calls. But being too drunk to speak to her own daughter, Suzanne forgot, and the calls ceased. Seven years later, age fourteen, with her exasperated aunt and uncle unable to cope with a violent, emotional, and unruly girl, who stayed out all night, smoked cannabis, and daubed graffiti, Chelsea was fostered out to yet another aunt, this time on the Ethelred estate in Kennington, South London. That year, with her aunt becoming seriously ill, Chelsea was fostered again. Being rejected and displaced by a succession of substitute parents, her most formative years were a fragmented and chaotic mess, as Chelsea was bounced from house to house, with no love, no routine, no role model, and always feeling like she was a burden. No one cared for her, and she cared for no one. And then she found a new family, 
in Darren Case, Rhys Sargent and David Blenman. Supposedly the leader of the gang, 20-year-old Rhys Sargent was an easily led lad who attended a special needs school for his learning difficulties, speech impediment and emotional problems. Raised by disabled parents, following an abusive upbringing, 17-year-old Darren Case left school aged 13 and was described as aggressive, hyperactive and psychologically damaged. And 16-year-old David Blenman, having never met his father, was abandoned by his mother, bounced between relatives, suffered from emotional and behavioural problems and had prior convictions for mugging. In her diary, scrawled in a mix of Pidgin English and Jamaican Patois, as the lovesick Chelsea mimicked the West Indian roots of her boyfriend, David Blenman, she wrote about the gang's violent assaults. Yesterday, I'd done an all-nighter with Barry, Darren and Reese. Them lot bang up some homeless man, which I think is bad, even though I was laughing after. Prior to 2004, Chelsea had no criminal record, but simply as a way to entertain herself, with the boys being of limited intelligence, easily led and eager to impress. Having slugged back several bottles of vodka and toked on a few spliffs, the feral gang engaged in an all-night spree of mugging and violent assaults on strangers. At little after 1am, in the early hours of Saturday the 30th of October 2004, with a gang of six, two black boys, two white boys and two white girls, including 19-year-old Barry Lee and an unidentified girl, all dressed in hooded tops, having chosen their victims at random and attacked with no rhyme or reason as they did it for kicks, the gang set out from Kennington to the South Bank for a night of violence. In hindsight, their first victim of the night was remarkably lucky. At 2.30am, David Dobson, a 24-year-old actor at the nearby Old Vic Theatre, was confronted by the gang on Lower Marsh, a side street running parallel with the Thames. As part of a pre-arranged plan, when one of them asked, Do you know what time it is? As the lone victim glanced down at his watch, being briefly distracted, the cowardly pack pounced and rained down a volley of punches and kicks, as on her phone, Chelsea filmed the assault. David Dobson fled, with little more than cuts and bruises. Sadly, their second victim was not so lucky. At 3.10am, on the dimly lit pavement of Queen's Walk, on the south side of Hungerford Bridge, barely a hundred feet from their last attack, the gang sidled up to two men, quietly sitting on a bench, chatting by the river. The night was cool and calm, as the two friends savoured the soft autumn breeze, having spent a pleasant evening at Heaven, a popular gay club on the embankment. One was called Alistair Whiteside, and the other was his friend of six years and a Soho bar manager called David Morley. 
five years after the bombing of the Admiral Duncan. Being physically well, but mentally scarred, and eager to move on, David uprooted to Chiswick, started a less stressful job at Brompton's, another gay pub over in Earl's Court, and enjoying an occasional garden party with his boyfriends and his parents. He had finally begun to find inner peace and to put the horrors of his past behind him. With the two men facing the river, having stealthily approached from behind, neither David nor Alistair heard a thing as the gang surrounded them. The two girls either side, the four lads behind. Being just 14 years old, with a pale cherubic face, neatly parted brown hair and deep blue eyes, Chelsea looked so innocent, like a little girl who could do no wrong. And with her left eyebrow raised, a jovial lilt to her voice, and an amused smirk on her thin red lips. Raising her camera phone to meet David's eye, she quipped, We're doing a documentary on happy slapping. Pose for the camera. And at that, the gang attacked. Kicked to the ground, as David and Alistair lay helpless on the cold concrete slabs, the gang jumped and stamped on the cowering men pummeling them with a volley of frenzied fists and flying feet, as having been robbed of their personal possessions, the savage beating continued. All the while, Chelsea excitedly captured the moment on her phone, so they could all watch it again later and laugh. Bloodied and bruised, as Alistair lay by the foot of the bench, too disorientated to flee and too terrified to fight back, as with the attack being so swift, it was impossible to register. As he turned, slumped by the river railings like a sack of discarded rags, he saw the battered mess of his good friend. David was loving and kind. Chelsea was heartless and cruel. And yet, they met by chance. But as two very different people, raised by very different parents, under very different circumstances, it was here that their lives would be changed forever, as the bomb blast survivor met his sadistic killer. Unlike David, the big-hearted barman who always put others before him, having rescued strangers from an explosion, visited the injured in hospital, and comforted those who grieved, Chelsea had no love, no respect, and no compassion for those she had hurt. As unable to attack back those who had hurt her, David was little more than a faceless stranger, and the next best thing to a punch bag. A few feet away, Chelsea stood. Seeing the bleeding man collapsed on the pavement, his hands by his side, as he drifted in and out of consciousness. With a glint in her eye and a grimace on her face, having taken a quick run-up, with a fast right foot, Chelsea kicked David hard in the head, booting it like a football as his skull jolted backwards. And feeling a buzz of exhilaration as the gang dashed away, whooping and cheering at the fun of their night's entertainment, she kicked his head again and again as David Morley lay dying.
At 3.15am, just five minutes later, three students sitting on a bench on the opposite side of Hungerford Bridge were subjected to a violent assault. A mobile phone was taken and the gang fled. At 3.20am, as Nigel Elliott sat in Jubilee Gardens by the London Eye, having missed his train, the gang attacked. He was tripped, kicked, robbed, beaten and smashed over the head with a beer bottle. At 3.30am, on Leak Street near Waterloo Station, the gang violently assaulted a homeless man called Wayne Miller as he lay sleeping rough in a shop doorway. Stamping and jumping on his back and head, as the cowardly gang ran off into the darkness, once again, they whooped in celebration. At 5am, having returned to the Ethelred estate in Kennington, they divvied up the loot, which had been stashed in Chelsea's blue trainer's bag, sparked up a few spliffs, and cackled like demented loons, as crowded around the phone, they watched back the grainy footage of their night of terror. To them, it was all just a big laugh. David was transferred to St Thomas's, a trauma hospital, a few hundred metres from the scene of these five violent assaults. Arriving in A&E, unconscious, swollen and bloodied, having sustained 44 injuries, a doctor later said that it was as if he had been hit by a car or had fallen from a great height. As when the feral yobs had jumped, stamped and kicked David, five of his ribs had snapped like twigs, causing his left lung to collapse and his spleen to rupture, so 60% of his blood leaked into his body. Geoffrey and Doreen Morley were on holiday when they received the fateful call that their son had been attacked. Just as they had after the bombing, they took the next train to London to be by the side of their beloved son. But having suffered a heart attack in surgery, he was pronounced dead at 7.40pm. A thorough police investigation was conducted, but with each area being quiet, unlit and not covered by security cameras, with the gang's faces hidden by hoodies, identifying them would be impossible. Except, with rough sleeper Wayne Miller having been assaulted near Waterloo Station, a CCTV camera had captured his attack in full. Forensics found fingerprints, blood matched a broken beer bottle found in Jubilee Gardens, and with the feckless yobs having used two of the stolen phones, the police tracked their movements and identified six youths. One week later, as the police entered her foster parents' home in South Norwood, Chelsea pointed to the easily identifiable blue trainer's bag and glibly stated, That's what I wore on the night. And although, in her diary, they had found entries relating to the attacks, when they examined her phone, the footage had been erased. Chelsea O'Mahony was arrested for the murder of David Morley, but with no CCTV, her phone wiped, and being just 14, although she had sadistically kicked David three times in the head, which had contributed to his death, with the evidence unsteady, and her defence that she was merely a spectator, it was likely that she would walk away 
from the serious charge of murder. On the evening of Friday the 5th of November 2004, five years after the bombing, another memorial service was held at St Anne's. And as a single church bell rang out, and its sombre echo reverberated off the crowded Soho streets, once again, more than a thousand misty-eyed people stood in silence. Only this time, one man was missing. But stood in his place was his proud parents. David Morley was a beautiful man, kind, loving and caring, who was abandoned at birth, hid his homosexuality and survived a terror attack, and yet still blossomed into a vital part of the gay community, who always put others before himself and even risked his own life to save strangers. On the 23rd of January 2006, Reese Sargent, Darren Case and David Blenman were sentenced to 12 years for the lesser charge of manslaughter and six years for conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm. And although Chelsea O'Mahony claimed she hadn't filmed or taken part in any of the attacks, she was found guilty and sentenced to a total of 13 years for manslaughter and conspiracy, which she served in Peterborough Prison. After the trial, Geoffrey Morley said, I didn't see any signs of remorse on the defendants' faces. I think they were sorry, but only because they got caught. With some of the families of his son's killer causing a disturbance in the public gallery, David's friends and family had to be escorted out of court to safety in police vans, having been threatened by throat-cutting gestures as someone shouted, My cousin got 12 years because of your faggot friend. We are all responsible for our own actions. There is no denying that. But how we are educated and raised by our parents plays a big part in the actions we take. Whether we become a kind and loving person who rescues others from a bombed building or a cruel and heartless yob who beats others to death. No one is born good or bad, but the lessons we learn from those we love can change our lives forever. In September 2009, just four years after the murder of David Morley, 19-year-old Chelsea O'Mahony was released on license from prison. Where she is now is unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. For all of Mickey's cakey-covered crazy whatnots, there's more dooby-dooby-quack-quack after the break. But before that, here's my recommended podcasts of the week. I can't stop, I can't stop, must follow. Stream October Pod wherever I go. Was you thinking about the show? Oh, please, please don't start on me now, Rollo, please. Rollo says smile. Rollo says dance. Rollo says go summon the devil. Edward October presents Octoberpod, a terrifying spook show. Available now on YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, 
and at octoberpodvhs.com. Octoberpod, retro horror for bold individualists. This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Beck. And I'm Nina. And we're your hosts. We pair a true crime story with a craft beer. That Nina will probably hate. Yeah, probably. Whatever. You can find our show on all your favorite podcast apps, and if you can't find it, contact us, and we'll try and change that. We can be found at brewcrime.com, or on Twitter at brewcrime, on Facebook at brewcrime, or if you want to go to our group, it's group slash brewcrime on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pacific Beer Chat. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and try not to giggle. A huge thank you goes out to my new Patreon supporters, who are Adele Moll, Selena Dean, and Linda Cardinal. I thank you. With a special thank you to Louisa Timothy for the yummy goodies. Sadly, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness confiscated the Guinness Caramels. Apparently, under Section Bloody Blah Bloody Blah of the 2006 Coppers Getting Fat Act. An extra thank yous to Kim Nixon for the scrummy cakes and Marita, Martine and Preston for the fabulous waffles. A special thank you to everyone who left reviews of Murder Mile on iTunes and your favourite podcast providers. It really is helping to get the show higher up the rankings and is very much appreciated. If you haven't left a review, please do leave one now. It really, really would be very much appreciated by me. It only takes a couple of seconds. As always, if you want to see what the murder locations look like, every Thursday I upload a blog for each episode with a map, location videos and photos. There's a link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get these early and some extra goodies that no one else gets to see, become a Patreon supporter, which you can do for as little as $3 a month. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult with no name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Not too bad. Not too bad. Good, 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 good. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing? You all good? You all good and happy and well and etc, etc, etc. Oh, it's spider season here at the moment. Oh, end of August. They all want to come in, don't they? They all want to come in and have a nose around and go, Oh, what have you got? Oh, one of them did yesterday. Saw that I had a nice Bakewell tart on my table and crawled over it. It's a real dilemma. Real dilemma of whether, because I love Bakewell tarts. Do I eat the cake? I hate spiders so do I destroy the I destroyed the cake I know I destroyed the cake what the hell is going on I destroyed a cake but it had a spider on it I'm not very good with things like that I'm also not very good do you know this is a thing I used to hate as a kid do you know when do you know like you have a sandwich and someone goes oh can I have a bit of that and they bite into your sandwich I can't do that it's like I can see you can see their teeth marks you can see their bit of sp- Bittle that they've left on the on your sandwich, or oh, it makes me sick. I can't, I can't share things. I, I can, I can cut a bit off. I can, cut, I, I can cut a bit off as long as someone's hands haven't touched it. It's one of those odd things, isn't it? It's like someone can make you a sandwich and it's fine, but if I know that someone's hands have touched it and it's not my hands, I can't eat it. Just can't eat it at all. Weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's that things like that. But then again, a spider doesn't really have hands, does it? But it's that kind of. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, there's loads of spiders trying to get in at the moment. So I'm 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 using lots of citronella, which I've got incense candles and citronella floating around, and that seems to get rid of them. Although the good thing is spiders get rid of the flies, and it's mosquito season, so you get rid of the spiders, the mosquitoes turn up. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two, isn't it? Well, that was waffle, wasn't it? That was that was waffle to start the day. Uh, so uh, welcome to Extra Mile. New listeners, this is the uh, this is the extra bit. I'll tell you some more information about things about the episode you just heard. Uh, things that won't didn't make it into the episode. Obviously, I'm recording this before uh, before I've edited the episode. It just makes sense to record it this way, and then I edit it afterwards. So there might be bits in the ep- episode that I've edited out. I don't know. I won't know until I start editing it after I've recorded this. It'd be yeah. Well, I hope maybe one day I might do an extra extra mile where I record something after I've edited it. But uh, I don't know what's really the point. I'm going to say everything I need to say now. Anyway, this bit is all the unedited bit. Unedited, unscripted, as you can tell, full of waffle. And uh, I am now going to 
oh, move away from the microphone because I need to open a window because as always I have the windows shut while I do this I'm going to open the back door as well get some air in there we go that's better oh that's better can't beat fresh air now I don't care about bikes going past uh, it's quite quiet here at the moment we're, we're getting to the point where all the kids are going to start going back to school soon so everything's going to be nice and quiet lovely ah oh. Best time in the world when all the kids go out to school. Oh, great. Uh, so, I'm gonna make myself a cup of tea and then I'll be back with you. I just had my coffee, that was, it's meant to be called Intenso. It's meant to be an intense coffee, it's a bit wet. A bit wet and a bit pathetic, so I'm having me, I'm now gonna have me a nice Tetley tea. Tetley tea, Tetley tea, two sugars, powdered milk. Cause it's, cause it's still warm. It's too warm for me to have uh, uh, oh, regular milk because it goes off so quickly here. Because I don't, I don't have a fridge as well. Ooh, but with it today, oh, treat, I'm going to have. This was given to me. Uh, I've almost eaten all of Kim. I've almost eaten all of your cakes. One of the, one of, one of the bakewell tarts is the one that the spider crawled over. Thankfully, you provided me with a lot. So I've just got two cakes left now. So they're going to go today, probably. You know what I'm? I've got one big Battenberg to eat, and then one the angel cake with a with the lemony icing. Oh, always save the best or last. That's my top secret. But these were given to me very kindly on the same day from uh, Marita. Oh, is it Marita or Maritha? I can never work out how to pronounce your name. Marita, Maritha, uh, Martin, and Preston. Preston, who was on best behaviour that day, wasn't he? Good, good, good boy. And they very kindly, kindly uh, gave me two tins of Stroopwafels. I hope I pronounced that right. It's really lovely. <laughs> I've, eat, I've, eaten, I've eaten one already. And they're kind of, um, I would say that's probably about four inches wide, circular, uh, little kind of chewy waffles. Um, but they're very nice. I, I didn't realise you were meant to dunk them. Uh, and I, I ate, I ate a whole tin of them the other night whilst watching Porridge the movie. Ah, Porridge, what a great series! Uh, so now, with um, Marita's advice, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my cup of tea and dunk them in the tea. So, stroop waffles uh, and uh, PG, uh, uh, Tetley, Tetley tea. Right, good. So. Just to say, uh, uh, if you're listening to that and you're going, oh, some of that, some of that episode sounds familiar, that's because it, 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 it's not really a two-parter, but it's kind of a, a continuing part of uh, part f uh, episode five of Murder Mile. So if you go right back to the start, um, this is, uh, uh, it was an episode called The Bombing of the Admiral Duncan. Uh, that was quite interesting because at the same time, uh, Adam who does UK True Crime Podcast, Adam, at the exact, really weird, exactly at the same week, we'd both done the episode about the bombing of the Admiral Duncan, or, or, the, or the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, 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 the nail bombings. Uh, but interestingly, we've both done it in very different ways. So, uh, Adam had covered all of it, and had done quite a lot about David Morley. In fact, if you if you go and have a listen, he does actually do a a really good two parter about uh, about David Morley and the bombing of the Admiral Duncan. 
Um, uh, but we both done it very differently. So I, with the bombing of the Admiral Duncan, I deliberately had not mentioned about the uh, the bomber himself because I felt I felt that he he'd got too much coverage, and that's really what he what, what he wanted. Adam had very had focused on him as well. I'd focused on um, three victims, which were John Lights, Nick Moore, and Andrea Dykes. He'd focused on David Morley. Uh, so, uh, this is, so this is my, so, uh, uh, this is why I've left this one for so long. I've left it kind of to boil for a little while. So, do you know, oh, how long has passed? Almost two years, almost two years has passed. So two years has passed and now I'm doing this episode. It is quite nice. It, it kind of gave me a little bit, it gave, well, it gave me a lot of time to really look at it and decide what angle I wanted to take on it. And it gave me more time to research into the backgrounds of Chelsea and David and to work out what story I was going to tell. Because obviously there's angles you can take with it. I think Adam, Adam took the uh, 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 the kind of angle that Joe David was in the wrong place at the wrong time twice, uh, which is an interesting way to do it. Um, going through it, I decided to do the uh, uh, to focus on the parents. I thought I thought that would be a nice way to attack it because it, it it is a story about you know they're two very very different people, but it's how they were raised as children. Joe, both both abandoned by parents do you know but uh david david found uh david was adopted by a really loving couple who who gave him all the skills that he needed to survive in life and chelsea was basically given nothing which doesn't say that she's not responsible as i say at the end she's not responsible for her her actions she is but if she would have had a a better upbringing do you know would this have happened? No. People aren't, you know, you're not born evil. No one is born evil at all. Um, but from day one, from the second you're born, from the second you come out of your mummy's tum-tum, you start learning, you start picking up things, you start picking up signals. Even when you're a tiny baby, you pick up li little signals. And you can tell the difference between when you're loved and when you're ignored and when you're, when you're hit and when you're stroked. Do you know, there's a real difference. So so as a baby, you can learn a lot. So, um, tease up! Which is not to say that she's not responsible for her, her actions. She is. She absolutely is. Uh, but how she was raised, in the same way that how he was raised plays a big part in our life. Do you know, he was raised to be a loving man, you know, to care about other people, to to think, as you see with the story, to think about others first, to think about other people's feelings. That's the way he lived his life, was he'd always put other people's feelings first before his own. Whereas with Chelsea, it was about herself. But because she never had anyone who really kind of loved her, really, deep down, that's kind of the way the way she was raised so oh right oh right oh let's let's i'm gonna do a dunk i'm gonna do a uh stoop therefore uh in a tetley tea oh this is very exciting if you if you have stoop therefores you're welcome to join me uh if not pause pause this tape now Go over to Holland. Get some stoop baffles. Oh, say hello to Preston while you're there. Um, and then, so I've, I've spilt crumbs on me. Right, dunk. Dunk. I'm going to do a, a little dunk because 
Anyone who dunks te like rich tea biscuits knows that they can last about half a second. Mmm. Mmm. I know people don't like they're listening to eating on podcast, so I won't do any more, but the second we fill it, finish this, whoa, I'm straight in there. Lovely. Mm, that works nice, actually. So, uh, where am I? Um, heading heading back into town at the moment on the boat. Um, it was one that we've had a couple of days of some of the hottest days ever. It was 33 degrees, so because I live on a boat, even though it can get bloody hot in here, it can get up to 50 degrees. I moved it into the shade, which was nice. I'm surrounded by trees. I moved it into a nice place in between some trees. Uh, so that was really good. So, so it's been relatively cool, really, except all the spiders and the earwigs. Uh, on those two 33-degree days, that was bloody hot. I did two tours back-to-back. -back. One tour is a lot of work. Two tours back-to-back -back is a lot of work. Two tours back-to-back -back in 33-degree heat. <sighs> Jesus, that was that was hard work. Uh, yeah, I, I, I went straight home. I didn't even have enough energy to eat cake. I had a big bag of cake, cake thanks to Kim and um, uh, Marita and Mateen and Preston. Uh, but yeah, I was too tired to eat that, so I didn't. Uh, so yeah, that was a hot day. Uh, update on the gas situation from last week. Uh, after I did that, because uh, you remember I ran out of gas, so I couldn't make a cup of tea. Shock, couldn't make a cup of tea. So... Uh, I got out my little trolley uh, and I walked two miles to the nearest filling station, grabbed a 13 kilo bottle of propane and lugged it all the way back. And it was bloody hard, bloody hard work, bloody hard. It was another day that was 33 degrees, but installed the, the gas cylinder straight away, had a cup of tea. Life was good. And then made made some vegan mince and tatties, which was really good. Glad I did that. Uh, Amy, if you're coming around for dinner sometime, uh, I'll, I will make you vegan mince and tatties it's very good it's very nice right okay let's read you some stuff that may or may not have made it into this episode um uh pretty much most at the start i've put in the ooh, dog barking outside yeah i'm glad i finished recording now or finished the the regular recording um uh david morley uh, sorry uh, jeffrey morley's thoughts on the attack he said uh, nothing i can do will ever bring him back i.e his son david all i can hope for is that those who did such damage to my son will be given long sentences so that they can't do the same thing to others uh, when i looked into the, the uh oh shut up dog <laughs> uh oh i'm gonna get another nasty email aren't i from the from the uh, the lady in New Zealand who took offence at the fact that I said, oh, shut up, dog. About a year ago. Weird woman. Uh, yeah, I know. I didn't even say it directly to the dog. The dog was half a mile away. Weird woman. Uh, oh, dog, shut up. No, it hasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I looked into the, the uh, what had happened to uh, Reese Sargent, Darren Case, David Blenman. Uh, as far as I could tell, they're still in prison. They went in in 2006. Uh, they had a total of 13 years each. So that would be technically if they'd served their full time. 
time, which they probably haven't, uh, they would be released this year. Uh, most of them were first offenders, so they probably would have served half, if not if less, unless they've reoffended. So they're probably out. I did a search, couldn't find much on them at all. I could only find things on Chelsea, really. Uh, so, the investigation. Uh, Chelsea was arrested a week later at her home, uh, having been seen entering the house, which uh, her step-parents' house, step-parents, foster-parents' house in South Norwood, uh, with the same blue bag that is clearly visible in the CCTV footage. Uh, as mentioned, without prompting, she said, that's what I wore on the night. Uh, there were no CCTV footage uh, saw uh, Mahoney film the attack on David Morley. Uh, however, she appears to be she was doing the same in the CCTV footage in the final attacks of the, of the night uh, against a homeless man, Wayne Miller. If you go online, the footage is still there. Uh, it's a relatively well lit doorway, um, and the the the, the camera is quite there, so you can, you can pretty much see everything. Uh, I'll try and put it on my on my website, uh, but it's hard to make out who the people are from that video. Extensive forensic tests failed to find pictures or videos of the attacks on any of the assailants' mobile phones. Um, the attackers stole uh, Alistair Whiteside's mobile phone. He was uh, David Morley's friend, used it, and the police were able to track them because of that. Pretty stupid, really. You steal a mobile phone. I'll mention this later on, but they stole the mobile phone. Two of them did. I, th- I think it was David Blenman and uh, Darren Case. I could be wrong. I'll check later on. Uh, dog's still barking. Annoying. Um, uh, I've been distracted now. Oh, yeah, the phones. Um, uh, pretty stupid that uh, you steal someone's phone. And the first thing they did, one of them decided to call his girlfriend. On that phone, it's like, are you, a, are you an idiot or what? It's like, it's a phone. The first thing you do, I mean, the first thing, if ever, here's a top tip. If ever you've been, uh, if ever you've had a bag stolen or something stolen or, or or even if your house has been burgled or something like that, step one, especially if your a, a bag or wallet has been stolen, step one, uh, have a look around walls within 100 feet of where of where you had it stolen. Because the first thing that a thief will do, because they don't want to be caught with uh, it on them, whatever they've stolen, the first thing they'll do is dump it, and then they'll try and come back a couple of hours later when no, when the heat has died down, and then they'll take it back. So that's what a lot of pe- police do: is that they come into a scene, they go right, where where was it stolen? Right, and then they check the walls because people. I've I've done this before. I was walking down the pub years ago, going to visit some. Uh, with some mates in a pub, a car pulled up, some lads got out. I was like, oh, what sh- oh shit, what's this? They ran behind the wall, they pulled out a VHS player. This shows how long ago it was, and then they ran away. They'd hidden it behind the wall because, you know, they knew they'd come back for it later on. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty stupid using... Oh, oh yeah, if you've had something nicked as well, uh, go to cash converters. Do you want those... Oh, really? I know there are other places that are equally as bad, but, oh, dear, there's... There's no real checks there, and uh, I've I've seen it many times before. Junkies walking in, you can you can smell what junkies smell like. As a tour guide, I've learned how to spot crack addicts and heroin addicts just by smell. It's it's a useful skill, uh, but the amount of times you see them walk in with with I saw one walking in once with a, a, a this is shows the age of it. 
a VHS player with a VHS still in there and the wires out the back and he clearly just robbed it from someone's house and made himself 20 quid off that. It's like, it's so bad. Uh, so, an extensive investigation by the Specialist Crime Directorate Homicide Unit led by uh, DCI Nick Scola uncovered a raft of evidence to support the prosecutions. CCTV footage showed the gang gathered in Hercules Road, Kennington, before proceeding to the Waterloo area. Their route followed the path of the incidents at at times consistent with the attack. I'll put a little map on time on my website so you can look at uh, the attacks are all within visual range. You can, they, they literally are, which is why they happen so fast. It's because they don't move that far. The arrogance is they... They attacked David Dobson on Lower Marsh, and then basically you go up some steps at the Bacchus Festival Hall and make it onto Queen's Walk, which is where they attacked David Morley, which is how we know that they attacked from behind, because that's the route they came in, and the bench was facing the river. They attacked David Morley and Alistair Whiteside, then they ran over Hungerford Bridge, so basically running in the direction that David Morley and Alistair were facing. Then they attacked those... On the other side of the river, they attacked those the three... Uh, foreign students who were mentioned and then they ran away in the direction of jubilee gardens which is back towards uh alistair whiteside and uh david morley so they would have literally run past them again to get to jubilee gardens to um uh, to attack nigel elliott and then and then again they ran north again heading towards uh waterloo so literally they don't move that far it's all within visual range it's all like a hundred meters if that each way each 100 meters 200 meters maximum each way so they really don't even go out of range to uh to make their next uh attack uh so it really was a bit of a spree um the footage showed them walking along lower marsh they spread out across the road road as described as described by david dobson um uh, the whole attack on Wayne Miller was captured on CCTV and shown in court. As a result of the CCTV footage at Leak Street, I'll, sh- I'll show you some pictures online, uh, which will show you all these locations. Uh, the detectives were a- able to recover fingerprints from the scene, which helped identify gang members. It also showed Chelsea O'Mahony holding a phone up, apparently filming the attack. Police recovered the phone, but despite extensive forensic analysis, were unable to recover any photos from it. Um, as mentioned, her diary was there, which uh, gave reference to, to the attack. Uh, a beer bottle was found at the scene on the attack of Nigel Elliott. That was in... Uh, uh, that was in... Uh, Jubilee Gardens. But the blood on the bottle was also related to the blood of uh, Frank... I didn't mention his name in there because there were a couple of complicated names in there. Frant, Frank Pitasio, uh, which is one of the uh, foreign students who was sitting by the bench on the other side of the river, so the blood was related to that. Uh, fingerprints belonging to Darren Case and David Blenman were found on the metal doors at the scene of the attack of Wayne Miller, consistent with the... Uh, uh, hang on. Uh, oh, here we are. Uh, so one of the... F- the students I just mentioned, Frank Potasio. Potasio? Doesn't sound right. Um, see, if I would have put this in the story, I would have rehearsed that because I haven't rehearsed it. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, Frank's mobile phone was used uh, to call Reese Sargent's girlfriend at approximately 4.03am on the morning of the attacks. 
she confirmed that Sergeant said he was calling on a stolen mobile phone. Absolute idiot. What a massive retard. You beat someone up, you steal their phone, then you call your girlfriend and go, yeah, yeah, me is calling on a stolen, stolen phone, in it. Absolute moron. Get some brains. Um, Chelsea O'Mahony was arrested on the 8th of November at her home, having been, uh, as mentioned, uh, the police saw her coming in with the, uh, the distinctive blue bag. She said, that's what I wore on the night of the attack. Well, she didn't say on the night attack, just on the night. Uh, she admitted being in present for all of the attacks, except that on Nigel Elliott, which is interesting. Why why decide not to have that one there? Uh, she identified the other gang members, but denied any involvement in the violence. She denied filming the assault on Wayne Miller. This was the one where she said she wasn't filming it. She was she had her phone up and she was just uh, she was just checking her phone. Yeah, right. Um, we already mentioned about the memorial there was a memorial to David Morley uh, I didn't mention but after this there was a, uh, uh, it was quite a big uh, memorial for him the Mayor of London who was Ken Livingston at the time turned up and uh, did a speech uh, performance by the London Gay, Men, Gay Men's Choir and then uh, afterwards after the uh, memorial at St Anne's there was a procession that started from the Admiral Duncan pub it started about 6.30 and everybody worked their way because obviously that's where the nail bombing happened in 1999 which is an important part of kind of David's life and they made their way down uh, Embankment Tube Station so going past Heaven where David uh, the nightclub where David was the night before, uh, that night um, they went across what is known as Golden Jubilee Bridges which is part of the Hungerford Bridge Hungerford Bridge is technically three bridges in one it's uh, Hungerford Bridge is the railway bridge and then there's the Golden Jubilee Bridges which is the uh, the, the the pedestrian bridges on either side of it, but it's technically the same bridge. Uh, they all went in silence. Uh, a long procession of, uh, I think I said there's about 100, 150 people, and everyone everyone bought flowers and candles, and it was a very peaceful protest. Um, they especially said no placards, no banners, no loads, loudspeakers. This is uh, this is not a protest. This is um, a remembrance of his life. Uh, what else is there? Just going through here. Uh, done that. Trial. Uh, mentioned about the trial. Yep. Uh, it, it actually started in October, uh, 2005 was the trial. Uh, but the, the sentencing wasn't until the 23rd of January, 2006. Um, so Darren Case, who was 18 at the time, Reese Sargent, who was 20, David Blenman, who was 17, were all charged with 12 years for manslaughter, and uh, as mentioned, an, ex an additional six years for conspiracy to co commit grievous bodily harm, which was added on to the end of the sentence as well. It was to, to run concurrently. Um, uh, they were prosecuted. They were tried for murder. But the jury returned a verdict of manslaughter, as that is what the jury are permitted to do. Uh, I can't find any reason reasoning in there why um, they returned with a manslaughter verdict as opposed to a murder verdict. It could have been the fact that they that it, it was a that they'd done loads of muggings and it had been violent assaults but no one had no one had been killed and they hadn't threatened to kill anyone so that could be the reason why it was manslaughter as opposed to murder whereas if they would have turned up and said we're going to kill you and then they kill 
David Morley, that would be my murder. Um, there was no hint that this was a uh, a homophobic attack at all. They had uh, briefly spoken uh, just before, like very, very briefly. They said there was a little bit of uh, a brief chat before. There was no discussion of, of uh, it being a homophobic attack. In fact, uh, the, none of the gang knew that uh, David or Alistair, oh, actually, it isn't mentioned whether Alistair is a homosexual man. David definitely was. Uh, so they didn't know that they were homosexual men. Um, the people who they attacked that night was a real mixture gay, straight, men, women. It was just a real mix. They, would, they, they hadn't picked people specifically. It was just nearest person goes on the attack. That was it. So, um,. Uh, all of all of them pretty much blamed Chelsea for the uh, uh, attacks. Especially uh, some of their friends came forward as well and said that she was she was to blame for it. Even though Reese was meant to be the the leader of the gang, he was, uh, you know, limited intellectual capacity and easily led. Uh, it is often said by many people on here that she was the one who was kind of leading most of it. She, uh, uh, it was all random, indiscriminate violence. Uh, for what can only have been for pleasure. Uh, hang on, where is the important bit? Uh, where did I put this? Even yeah, even at the trial, they said uh, it was because of her they did what they did. She wanted to film it on her on her video phone. You can tell that these are. Uh, old barristers are doing this because they refer to it as a video phone uh she wanted to film people being beaten up it was that was her will she had the phone she wanted it uh the lives of the defenders held such little interest that they set out to use violence for its own sake it was random indiscriminate violence for what can only have been pleasure uh because she was underage at the time when she was at trial, uh, fourteen when she was uh, committed the offence, fifteen uh, when it went to court. Uh, she she had to stand in court with a social worker. Um, uh, it said that uh, uh, although none of them showed any remorse, as you know, as your kind of lawyer actually always says to you, don't show any remorse. Even when the the sentencing is read out, uh, she stood there holding hands with her social worker. Uh, Chelsea was sent to the Oak Hill Secure Unit and then on to HMP uh, Peterborough, which is in Cambridgeshire. Uh, as mentioned, she is now free. Uh, Judge Brian Barker told her at the Old Bailey, you became obsessed with the activity of catching people unawares, assaulting them and of filming it for your own later gratification. Uh, September 2009, uh, Chelsea enjoyed a trip out from her probation hostel in Bedford after being released on licence. Uh, O'Mahony, she was, uh, they say that, that, that she was now aged 20 there, she wasn't, she was 19, laughed and joked with pals as they wandered around shops, shops scoffing fast food. Um, anything else? Anything else? Anything else? No, I think that's it. Good. Oh dear, that was good. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, that was that. So, oh dear. Oh, I'm going to go and sit in Costa and edit this. Oh, I did. There's a new Costa just opened up around the corner. Uh, 
which is uh, it's new. Most people don't know about it, which is very good. I like those ones. And Miracle, they have plug sockets at literally every table. Miracle. One of the places I go to, like one of the ones, sometimes before I do my tours, I go off and I do, I like I get in there about 7am. It gives me about three hours, three and a half hours to do some editing before the tour starts. Um, and sometimes I'm sitting there and I plug in my plug my laptop in and I'm like oh why is my battery draining and then I look a whole bank a whole wall of plug sockets are dead they don't work and then I, I end up having to run around the place going oh where's the free plug socket and normally it's a big cost but when you get in there there's one working plug socket and normally you get there and there's normally someone sitting there with a book a regular book sitting there having a read next to the only bloody plug socket and they're not using it oh, that's so baffling there should be a little sign, shouldn't there, next to... Because so many of us, like, you know, need power for our phones and laptops and things like that. There should be little signs that say, this is a table just for people who need to use a laptop. If you, if you're, if you don't need to use plug sockets, sit somewhere else. Oh, if only. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to sit there and edit. I'm going to eat some of, some of my Stroop waffles. Um and edit this episode so uh we've got three more regular murder miles to go uh they're all researched already they're all all interesting all very different so i'm looking forward to those this one was quite this one this one i wrote really fast in fact yesterday i'd finished i'd finished writing and rewriting it by by lunchtime and i was like oh i'm done okay so i went into town i had loads of shopping to do i bought some new trainers i bought some uh, things for my eyes I bought some pants Got to get some pants. Uh, got me medicine. Uh, did went to the bank. Got my post. Got my post box is about thirty miles south. So uh, yeah, it's a bit of a trek to get in. Uh, bank stuff. Bank stuff, bastards. Um, but yeah, that was good. So I'm ahead of schedule. So yeah, there'll be three more regular murder mile episodes, and then I reckon there will be five mini miles. I'm going to record the meander miles. Because I've got to do the one in Ryan. I might do one in Brighton. I'm going to record those. But I might use them next year when I need them. They're, I think I'll pull them out of the bag when I need them. And then that will end with a six-parter. Uh, final multi-part series. It is a six-parter. Because uh, I've, already, I've already mapped out what the episodes are. And that brings us to uh, the start of the new year. And then I can have some time off. So January, no episodes. Uh, February, probably no episodes. Uh I might I might restart mid February or start of March. I'm not too sure. I need I need a good couple of weeks, like a good four or six weeks to do a good amount of research and I need I need I need to have some time off because uh uh yeah, I haven't had any time off since March. Yay So only another four months to go with no days off. <sighs> If you want to support Murder Mile, you can do via Patreon. You don't have to. Or if you really love Murder Mile, uh, uh, don't forget, please do go to to, uh, iTunes. Give us a review. You don't even have to write anything. You could just literally click five stars, click five stars, click five stars. It gets us up the rankings. Uh, Because at the moment, it's it's slightly frustrating. uh, Because obviously, like Dr. Death is out again. Dr. Bloody Death. How are... It was. It wasn't even that good. It was adequate. It was okay. But everyone thinks it's amazing, and they go, "Oh, Doctor Death, Doctor Death," and because 
they because the people who make it pay a lot of money it's at the top of the charts again you'll see it's on all the banners on all your podcast catchers if you go on any different podcast catcher you'll see dr death dr death because they've got thousands of pounds to be able to blow on advertising which is why it's it's at the top of the charts at the moment whereas you know they only do like six to eight episodes where small podcasters like us who keep you entertained every single week like and we keep going for years it's like dr death you go back now you can listen to those six to eight episodes but you've already heard them we're churning out episodes every single week to keep you entertained and we all do it for free and we don't have the money or the advertising to make to get to the top of the charts so um the higher we get up the charts, uh, the longer we can stay. Because obviously, the more listeners we get, it helps our advertising revenue. Uh, we don't make much, to be honest. I, I would, I would make more money if I was stacking shelves uh, in Tesco's. Uh, I did the maths recently, and I worked out I'm I earn less than one pound an hour doing what I do. But I do love what I do, which is important. But I don't make much doing it. So. Um, the more people who listen to the podcast i know people say oh it doesn't make a difference it does the more people that you get listening to the podcast the more revenue we get the longer we can keep going um uh obviously uh yeah so uh and the more and the more a cake i can have as well which is even better uh which means i'll probably die of diabetes so um that was this week's episode uh hope you enjoyed it uh enjoyed it in inverted commas obviously we're not really meant to enjoy it uh and uh we'll be back next week with another episode uh have yourself a good day be good uh stay away from spiders ta-ta if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft-structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim. 
All made right here in the USA with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23.